Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. The only records left to break these days are the ones that he set himself. Max Verstappen looking to break last year's win record. Could he get 16, really, in a year with a Ferrari front row lockout in Mexico? Yeah, of course he could. Podium today was Verstappen, Hamilton, Leclerc. Uh, let's look back at the Mexican Grand Prix. It was a disaster for Sergio Perez. Out Not only the first lap, but the first corner of the first lap. A red flag restart after a Magnussen crash. And did McLaren have another one of their, in a row, podiums for Norris ruined by a Saturday screw-up in qualifying? Well, back from the track, uh, we've got our GP editor, Alex Kalinorkis, now F1 reporter, Philip Cluren. And it's great to have both of you guys who are there in Mexico. You've witnessed the madness, the excitement, the sheer passion of the Mexican fans. And it's great to have you both on the podcast today. Alex, I come to you first. Let's talk about that run down to turn one. We talked about it on the Saturday podcast. We talked about t- t- 2021. And well, Max Verstappen got it all done in about the first eight seconds when he took the lead. But of course, heartbreak for Perez. How did you read that first initial phase as we we got underway. It was very 2021-esque in terms of how a Red Bull ended up on the outside, technically in the lead. I think Perez's nose was just in the lead. I observed on the grid, he had a sort of little, I don't know, a little local charm or something that Red Bull had put on his nose. Uh, I'm assuming they took it off from the start because that would have been a bit of a bit of an unnecessary aero disturbance, but there we go. Um, and it all went wrong for him when for a split second, it had looked tremendously good. And like, as you say, Martin, Verstappen had basically won the race by that point. He'd, he'd got to the inside. He was always going to come out ahead. Charles Leclerc was still making a fight of it. And, um, and, and yeah, he was, he was never going to, going to back out. And Perez, he basically got an even better start than anybody. I think the two Ferraris were, were pretty poor. Carlos Sainz was, you know, never really a factor. And then, yeah, Perez just, his, his explanation is, if this was my opportunity to take the lead, this is my only opportunity to try and win. I had to go for it. And he, he sort of, he says he regrets nothing, but I can appreciate that attitude. I sort of, I, I, I get it. I think, I think he's had a very hard season. It's a sort of romantic, fantastic, you know, charming thing to have tried and done like hero or zero, but it also runs completely contrary to what we know about literally everything in Formula One, which is that you minimize your risk, that you bank what you can. And honestly, was he? did he really think he was going to beat Max Verstappen on pace? Like Christian Horner says, yeah, he's been very strong. He was looking good all weekend. His long run on the hards in FP2 was good. But yeah, it's sort of like, I can understand his position because Perez has come out and said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that move. You know, he probably sort of expressing himself slightly poorly, but I sort of see, see what he's getting at. And I sort of, I see both points of view. Unfortunately, you've got to come down on the side of, of cold logic, I think. I think second place would have been easily his and come the end of the season this could cost him p2 in the championship like lewis hamilton's retired from well retired in gata disqualified in austin big chance for perez to consolidate his grip on second place and he 
utterly messed it up. Yeah, Alex, as you say, I mean, I also appreciate the attitude, but it's like 10 out of 10 for attitude and 2 out of 10 for execution, isn't it? it? It's clumsy. He really, really could have done that a lot better. There was more room on the outside. As you say, Max has already shown him how to overtake on the outside there. I sympathize with him because he had a mega start and then obviously he was propelled by Mexican fans that were just incredible. You really have to be there to see it just in the forest hall, the stadium section, even from the first lap of free practice one, you stand there every time he comes by, there's just a roar like a football team's called the last minute winner every single time. It must weigh on him a lot, just this whole build up whole expectation is he finally going to do it after the season that he's had but then yeah you can throw it away in a second can't you and it's 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 unfortunate yeah he really could have done a lot better there it's interesting you mentioned the stadium there because there was a lot of chat on uh, i was listening uh, in the media center to the sky sports coverage of fans leaving the track well i mean the com the commentary boxes have got a nice view of all the hospitality areas i suggest it was those fans who were walking out because i was lucky enough I'd, i'd finished my race report and i was on the hunt for people in the paddock wandered down to the podium to see how far I could get. I got all the way out there and saw the trophies being lifted at the end of the national anthems. There was not an empty seat in the stadium. Like no one had left. They all seemed to stay partying. There was a big DJ thing that was uh, was going on for what seemed like hours afterwards. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, if there's anybody heading for the exits, it's clearly the people in the posture seats. Yeah, I have to say I was really impressed with the fans in a way because we've been talking all week about Max being booed and he was being booed in Austin by Mexican fans. And there was this whole race spec, as they call it, campaign to you know, sort of tell the Mexican fans to leave their rivalries, you know, leave it on the track. You don't, don't boo, don't, you know, don't be violent. Don't. And, and, um, actually Max was, we received really well. I thought it wasn't, if there was any booing, it was for, Poor Charles Leclerc, who was completely innocent in, in the turn one accident. Um, I think Charles, he handled it really well. Actually, I thought Max was really well received. Yeah, I agreed. I think I'm going to double down on something I said on last Sunday night's podcast. I'm utterly convinced that Austin Booing was for the governor of Texas, Greg, Greg Abbott. I don't think it was for Max Verstappen because not only was I there down at the podium, what, two or two races in a row, I've never done it before. I promise I'm not making an of this. Uh, it's just because the podiums happened to be near the media center uh, the last two rounds. Um, yeah, I was down there and it was, it was, lit. there was no booing. Like Max, obviously, you know, he, it was, it was his time to shine on the podium in Austin and there was no booing until it was mentioned it was Texas governor, Greg Abbott. And then I watched the, uh, you know, a clip of the, of uh, I, think, I think again, it was the Sky uh, commentators suggesting it was all Perez fans and it was all Verstappen being booed. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that was correct based on what we saw this week, which was that Verstappen was, was very well received. You're right, Leclerc did. He gave as good as he got in terms of defending himself over the microphone in part Ferme to those, to those fans. But actually, mm-hmm. fair credit to Perez for not being like, oh, Leclerc's had me off. He's completely destroyed my race. It's all on him, blah, blah, blah. He was very, you know, he was, he, he, I, I got, I just got the feeling it was a, it was an emotional, but also sensible response from Paris in terms of losing everything. Yeah. And we saw that shot on the TV of Christian Horner with his arm around Sergio Perez saying something on the pit wall. And we don't know what that is. And we, you know, we can't read too much into that. They keep saying he has a contract for 2024. He'll be in the car. He is a great number two to Max Verstappen because he's not making, 
he's not putting pressure on Verstappen and forcing Verstappen into mistakes. And if they can get the first ever Red Bull 1-2 in a championship winning year, then then that is definitely mission accomplished for Perez. But if he doesn't, well, Hamilton's not there to finish second, but it'll be a nice bonus, even if it's just by a point, even just by getting the fastest lap today makes all the difference, then it'll perhaps pile more pressure on Perez, I guess it's got more to do with where his head's at. And if his head is positive and strong and he wants to come back in 2024 and and fight and is in the right place, if his head goes down and he's just not able to perform or just deliver the speed that we know Perez has got or give the right feedback or just be then there's no point in being there for a year. And, you know, Daniel Ricciardo is sitting there being like, hey, oh, I want to come back. Why did I ever leave to go to Renault? Well, I think the old bank account's bolstered a bit from uh, uh, from that decision. But still, so we'll wait and see what happens. But, yeah, lots of talk about pressure on Perez. It doesn't get any harder than this weekend in front of his home crowd. And, and and then and then what happened there? But let's talk a little bit about that that battle, guys, at the front of the field. Front row lockout for Ferrari. But that headline is disguising the times behind it. I mean, Red Bull weren't a long way off in third place. And in race pace, of course, they did what they they do really well. But let's talk about whether Ferrari ever had a chance to finish any better than Leclerc's third on the podium. And, and also, you know, you throw the McLarens into the mix. If only Norris had been up there, it probably would have made the Ferraris look a little bit worse as well. And Russell couldn't get the Mercedes to perform as well. So, again, a result for Ferrari that doesn't quite do justice there to what could have been with the Perez retirement. It could have been a lot worse for Ferrari. Did they ever have a chance, Alex, of really acquitting themselves well this weekend? Because by the time we saw those first round of pit stops, Verstappen had made up so much time. Yeah, Verstappen admitted in the press conference afterwards that he was going for a two-stopper, which I think was was reasonably clear, judging judging by the fact that it was you know he had a commanding lead out front and there was no sign of Ferrari stopping. So Red Bull going aggressive can can only indicate a two-stopper, and 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 that made things interesting because it was very clear very soon after that that Ferrari were one-stopping. So had there not been Kevin Magnussen's accident, this could have been an interesting strategic race. I still think. The pace advantage of the Red Bull is such that there's no way that Max was going to be denied. I think, um, well, in fact, we know he'd have basically erased the extra stop time gap by the time the red flag came. And in fact, he had enough time in hand to pit under the safety car, rejoin in the lead even before the, the red flag had come. So yeah, Ferrari, not a lot they could have done in terms of the race win, but I'm pretty sure Leclerc was nailed on for second had the red flag not happened for, for two reasons. One, he still had track position over Lewis Hamilton when they eventually stopped. And also it was because it was Leclerc's first stint pace on the mediums and the times he put in that convinced Mercedes to put the mediums on for the final stint and that they would last to the end. Because effectively what happened was they're able to see exactly the lap times that uh, Leclerc was doing and they only really tailed off towards the end of the race. And basically everybody worked out from that degradation on the medium is much better than expected. So for Mercedes, it that bolstered their decision. They thought, well, we'll put medium tires on for the second standing start, and that might get us ahead. It, that totally didn't work. It was, it was a very, very dull second start in in, in many ways. Um, and then, and then, yeah, it, but basically, ultimately, that call got Hamilton on the better race tire. So, if the red flag hadn't happened, both cars would have been on the hards. We we do know that the Ferrari performs uh, worse on the hards. The Leclerc was pretty open about that in the press conference. It's been a case all season. The tire management weakness, while better, is still there. And I think that 
I, I also just think that the circumstances of the of the conditions of the track with the hot temperatures, the thin air, meaning the engines and the brakes aren't cool or, or cooled as normal, it would have been very hard for Hamilton to pass. I mean, he's, I'm sure he still would have had a go. We saw him getting very, uh, very bold and nearly on the grass and all over the dust when he did go by Leclerc after the second start. But, um, but yeah, it was sort of Ferrari were were never in victory contention, but I think they had a shot of coming second had that red flag not happened. Yeah, Martin, you mentioned McLaren as well. Um, obviously, fantastic performance by Lando Norris today. Definitely be kicking himself. I know for a fact he's kicking himself for messing up qualifying. If you look at their pace, they were quite confident they had the second best car, maybe alongside Lewis Hamilton. It would have been quite close between them. Yeah, if he had qualified in position, he looked nailed on for a podium for sure. Then Oscar Piastri obviously caught out in the incident with Yuki Tsunoda, asked Andrea Stella, team boss, afterwards how much that had cost Oscar. And he said, well, he lost 15 to 20 points of downforce, which is three or four tenths per lap. So that's also why Lando was so much quicker than Oscar in the, the second, well, the second stint, the stint after the restart. And also gas risen older tires. So there was an offset anyway. So definitely Norris, you know, just fantastic performance. Um, Andrea Stella actually said, this is one of the best drives that I've been a part of. He even compared it to Fernando Alonso's win in the European Grand Prix 2012 in Valencia. If you remember, it was that mega race where Alonso started outside the top 10. I think he was 11th on the grid and took a win in front of his own fans. So that's basically the race that Stella compared it to. And, you know, Andrea Stella, he's worked not only with Fernando Alonso, he's also worked with somebody called Michael, um, what's his name? Michael Schumacher? Yeah. So, you know, he, he's been around a few good drivers in this time, hasn't he? He has, although uh, I, I certainly don't remember Fernando. Oh, actually, I do, what I do remember about that European Grand Prix in, uh, in 2012 uh, was I watched it in a bar in Budapest because I was interrailing around Europe at the time, having just finished my undergraduate studies like a an innocent cherub obviously not that but anyway right um i don't remember the valencian grand prix uh european grand prix in valencia in 2012 uh, containing fernando alonso having an awful start and losing four positions i'm not saying lando norris wasn't mega after that but if i were doing driver ratings for autosport magazine autosport.com which i am not this weekend so our colleague jake bought a leg on that it's a nine for norris he cost himself the, the the second start cost him considerably and actually if we were using our old driver ratings rules he would be, he wouldn't be able to get anywhere near the top scores because of how he messed up in qualifying. Now I know that McLaren, you know, they had to uh, pit him when he was on medium tires in Q1 to what was it, a, a check a fuel system thing. Uh, but he 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 had the chance to get a, a solid banker in and he blew it. And then Alonso spinning caused all of the people, uh, you know, stuck behind him, not going to improve. So yeah, it's not been the perfect weekend from Lando Norris. But I do take the point that that, uh, that that charge to the flag was absolutely excellent. I thought his passes were just pinpoint on. I mean, it was Ocon at turn one, Daniel Ricciardo at turn four. It was just, it was, it was, it was, that was brilliant. I would, I would say that. Yeah, I was a big fan of the pass on Ricciardo. We know how late Ricciardo likes braking, especially when he has confidence in the car like he does now. And yeah, Norris really took him to the cleaners there. It was really fun. And then, about then did it did took George Russell to 
additional cleaners, more cleaners, different cleaners. I don't know, but he he pressured him into a mistake. Whereas I think he 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 made the difference in the past on Ricardo in terms of getting his car in the position to get ahead. He forced Russell into going a little bit deep at turn four and then making the move at turn six. So yeah, different ways to to skin a cat, I guess, for Norris in terms of getting past a couple of rivals there. Yeah, the cleaners were kept very busy here. But just to finish on that Norris discussion, just a little bit. Last time out, we heard in Austin, McLaren and Norris both saying, particularly Norris, that we're not going to be strong here in Austin. The best of the circuits are behind us. Since the big upgrade in Austria really brought some other things to the the car, but we're not going to be quick here. And well, in the end, when it all shook out, he got a a second and that podium run continued. And then again, this weekend, going into it, he was one of the first ones on Thursday to say, look, this this track doesn't suit us. We're not expecting too much of it. What's going on there? Is he, does he genuinely believe that is it a bit of smoke and mirrors because you know they've done the deal now with the 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 fourth place battle with aston martin i mean if we get a chance today we'll talk about aston there's not a huge amount of happy stuff to talk about with that the sort of wheels have fallen off a little bit or actually on alonso's car literally they didn't earlier in the weekend uh come off but uh that's sort of done they're not really doing mind games with anyone they're not going to catch ferrari and the constructors so why are they setting out expectations so low and yeah i was going to come on to the ratings that you mentioned already alex because he's the first one to say look we really messed up on on saturday but ultimately you've said that possibly without the red flag with the one-stop ferrari leclerc could have been challenging i mean where do you think ultimately if norris had started in a normal or air quotes normal place for him let's say fourth okay let's say the ferraris did just their tires lit up at the right time in q3 fourth or fifth like where could could Norris have been second again today? Could he really put pressure on the Red Bull of Max Verstappen, or am I being a little bit too optimistic there, Alex? No, mind. I think I don't think you are. I think um, we've got to go back to FP two and look at the pace Norris had on the medium tire, which was enough to shade Max Verstappen by a healthy nearly three tenths. Uh, Piastri and the other McLaren was was pretty soundly beaten in the, on the long run averages by Perez on the hards. So I don't think I still don't think I don't think McLaren was a victory contender, but I'm I think he could have made it difficult. And in fact, that's going to be one of the points of my uh, uh, long form uh, analysis for Autosport magazine um, that I'm going to write after we finish recording this podcast. If you had a different car in there, the start could be different. I mean, that's just the, the million dollar question, isn't it? Could it anything anything could be different if you did it several times over, right? But um, but I definitely think he could have disrupted. Verstappen, he could have either just put him under that little bit more pressure in a in, on a track where they are all managing, you know, lift and coast temperatures like that, getting the brakes to the finish. That was interesting because um, uh, uh, Charles Leclerc was was asked to do that quite considerably. Mercedes doing it as well, but not for engine temperatures. That was purely for brake temperatures. Um, yeah, I, I think Norris could have been a threat, and I, I do think he could have um, got a podium because, judging by his pace, he was as quick as Hamilton at the end. But um, yeah, on the old, uh, oh, we're not going to be fast at this track. I'm definitely not going to believe them anymore. And Phil, I'm pretty sure you pretty much said that to Andreas Stella, right, at the end of the, after the race? Yeah, I've pretty much raised that exact point, Martin. And I asked Lando that as well before the weekend. Um, it's an interesting one, really. I don't think it's mind games. I think it's just generally they are literally not good in slow-speed corners. And there's a quite a few of them in Mexico, quite a few of them in Austin. They weren't very keen on Brazil either, which has quite a few happens. They found a way to mitigate a lot of that because their race pace has been a lot better. They've maybe not been as strong in qualifying. We saw it was a lot more difficult for Lando and for Oscar to get the lap together. But they seem to have made some steps in race pace that they weren't really expecting or they don't really understand why. 
But if you look at Mexico, it's quite a smooth surface and there aren't that many high-speed corners, which meant that McLaren could sort of lean in more towards being good in the slow-speed corners. They could change their ride heights and they could sort of mitigate a lot of their weaknesses there. They are still quite puzzled themselves why they are better on race pace over the past two races than, than they were expecting. I don't think they they are blowing smoke. I think it's genuine. But that also means that they've got a bit more confidence now about Brazil. Stella said, you know, before this triple header, we thought Brazil was going to be shocking. And now he's like, actually, you've got a lot more optimism after what we've seen in Austin and in, in Mexico. Yeah, it's a fascinating set of races, this uh, this back-to-back-to-back. A bit like at the beginning of the season with the flyaways as well before they start to bring upgrades to the car. The teams are on the road now and very little they can do once they are away, apart from optimise the packages they've got. And McLaren, definitely one of those that are on the ascendancy and have been. But yeah, Norris, oh, he must be kicking himself. Hey, I've done the top three. Verstappen, Hamilton, Leclerc, the podium. Let's run down the rest of the top ten. The second Ferrari of Carlos Sainz in fourth. Then Norris and George Russell in the Mercedes, who we'll get to next, actually, after this rundown. And then Daniel Ricciardo in the Alpha Tauri. And we're definitely going to have a conversation about what the points mean for that team uh, later on in the podcast. Then Oscar Piastri, Alex Albon, brilliant result in the Williams there in ninth. And the first of the two Alpines, they did get into the top 10. Ocon finishing 10th and uh, taking home the final point with his teammate Gasly behind him in 11th. Some DNFs today. You mentioned Sergio Perez in the Red Bull T1 as well. What a place to go off. Did actually recover. Uh, in case I didn't, I made it sound like he, he didn't make uh, a recovery to the pits, but so much damage to the side of that Red Bull where the radiators are. And it's a bit further back now, actually, but it was, uh, it looked pretty gnarly. Uh, Kevin Magnuson brought out the red, red flag. When he had a car failure on the rear, uh, which spun his car into the barriers and needed to uh, be assessed to make sure the barriers were safe. The two Aston Martins were retired today and and Sergeant uh, had a, I checked into that. I mentioned on the video we made for Autosports uh, YouTube channel earlier. Uh, if you were watching the live coverage and you saw Sergeant Williams diving into the pits on the final lap, uh, he didn't want an early bath. They spotted something on the, the fuel rail and uh, to not to risk the uh, the power unit, uh, they brought him in uh, at, on the last turn. So let's talk Mercedes then, chaps, because I'm really fascinated by, it was kind of, it was two races in one really because of the red flag halfway through and the standing restart as well. And Hamilton finishing 14 seconds behind Verstappen. Verstappen seems to have this, this cadence of when he, he starts the race of he, immediately he can pull one, two seconds clear. Uh, break DRS, et cetera, et cetera. Then we've seen time and time again, he's happy to sit for four or five seconds ahead of second place, almost just bringing those tires in. And then, you know, I look back at the timing screens a few laps later and he's yeah, 10, 12 seconds down the road. But George Russell finishing 41 seconds off. And that's on, you know, on, like I say, on half half of the race. Can you have a little conversation and help me understand the difference between Hamilton and, and Russell at the moment? Because Russell... It sounds not panicked, but just irritable on the radio. We've heard him again talk about where he came out today. Really scruffy weekend in Austin. And, you know, Russell's had a good season up until now, but just seems to need to sort of, I don't know, take a break, take a pause and get the last few races of the season under control. Because 
there seems to be a bit of a widening gap between the two Mercedes drivers. Am I reading that right? I think this is a bit of a factor to, to consider about the two tracks we've been to recently, Martin. I think Lewis Hamilton's a noted Austin specialist. He's able to do things that, you know, just, you know, other drivers just can't around there. And he's also very strong in Mexico. And he's obviously got a great affinity with the place. He's he's warmly applauded and cheered by all the fans. Or well, not all the fans, but, you know, huge swathes of them. And he produced, was it 2019? He had a great drive here to win and, and things like that. I think, so I think that's, that's a factor that Lewis is just on good turf for him and, and has been last weekend as well. And also Russell, I, I think the, the gap between at the end of the race today just comes down to the fact that Russell still isn't as good on time management as Lewis Hamilton. And I think you saw, you, you visually saw it happen when he was hounding Carlos Sainz after the second start. He was all over him. He, tried to pass several times it didn't come off and then he then he fell back and i think that russell has had this habit of going too hard uh too early in stints and it just backfires at the end and, and here it really backfired because norris was able to get him and ricardo very impressively very nearly got him right at the very end so yeah i think it's i think it's a combination there of 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 uh of, of lewis being exceptionally good and he gave a great explanation of talking about how you know because he said to jensen button no i was trying to emulate your style and you know uh you know smooth finesse and things like that and i asked him about that in the press conference and he said well you know you got to think of it like a, like a seesaw you know you got you got you got a the 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 the, 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 the pointy front end the understeer is going to be high up at the start of the stint and then as as it as the rears go away it's going to come uh, up and the seesaw is going to rise up and then suddenly the 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 weight is going to be completely the opposite direction you've got to be very careful to manage the sliding uh, to avoid that happening and he's just exceptional at it and i think um yeah on a on a very tricky track surface you know phil you talked about the smoothness it overheats the tires very easily i think it just exacerbates the natural gap between russell and hamilton when it comes to sort of long run tire management yeah i think you also have to keep in mind that this mercedes is a very difficult car to drive and i, I think that's why you've seen the form fluctuates so much for both drivers, not only relative to each other, but also relative to the competition. It's just been a very peaky car. Don't always know what you're going to get. Their recent upgrades have really helped with performance, but it's, you know, Lewis said it as well. It's still difficult to drive. It's just quicker while being difficult. And I think you've seen that as well. And probably the biggest difference this weekend is that Hamilton just found a setup that happened to work. We've often seen him be a bit grumpy after free practice uh, saying, oh, we have a lot of work to do. It's going to be tough for us. And sometimes sometimes that just persists throughout the weekend. But we've also seen that Mercedes seems to gain a lot of speed between free practice and then uh, crunch time in, in qualifying, and especially on Sunday in the race. So I think that was just... I think that was just a perfect example this weekend of um, Hamilton's side of the garage just getting the setup right for the race. What you, what, you, what you say there, Phil, is that the peaky car is particularly exposed in qualifying because with everything taken out of the car and pushing at the absolute limit, it's very easy to slip over that knife edge. I think Russell has talked about that as well. And Lewis said in the press conference, once you fill it up with fuel, it feels great. And that that's obviously makes a big difference to how happy and how easy the time management phase is going to go. Yeah, I mean, we've seen everybody struggling qualifying, literally everybody. We've seen Max struggling qualifying. We saw Albon, who was like the star of FP3. And, and, and FP1. And maybe. FP1, kind of. I don't care about FP1. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't count in my book. I do. I get to go outside and watch the cars. It's my favorite moment of the weekend. It was just such a difficult qualifying session, possibly the hardest of the year. If you look at how many drivers struggle to just get it, just keep it on the road is really, really tough. 
Let's talk a little bit about Daniel Ricciardo because it was a fantastic qualifying to start the Grand Prix in fourth place in his Alpha Tower, second row, lining up right next to Max Verstappen. I'm sure it'd be like to lining up next to him in the same team, whether that's 24 or 25 in the main Red Bull team. But I think many people expected them to go back backwards very, very quickly. And, well, we didn't see that. He held his own, did really well, and uh, put on... I you know, think a very similar strategy to those cars around. Wasn't doing a contra strategy, started on the mediums. Um, a little earlier, stopped to go on the hards and then uh, did a, a sort of a very decent stint at the end on the hard tyres as well. So was able to run the kind of strategy that the top teams around him were running, ended up finishing seventh, only one car ahead of him, yet Perez should have finished ahead of him. So uh, you can factor that in or not if you want. I don't know. But yeah, coming home seventh, a big haul of points. And so, you know, good for him, guys. Really good for him personally. He seemed to have that Daniel Ricciardo quality back uh, again in terms of his driving style. Interesting on the radio, I missed this in real time during the, it wasn't shown on the the, the world feed, uh, but he was talking to the pit wall about whether he just let Norris through, about whether he should race Norris or not. So he obviously got a really clear idea of what's happening around him. He hasn't lost any sharpness. Uh, noticed, I didn't uh, I didn't notice it to begin with, but then when you see it, you see it. Uh, his, his pinky finger, is raised up when uh, he's on full lock because he can't hasn't got full mobility in his hand. So he's struggling th- with that as well. He's not quite back to uh, how he you know should be driving normally. Um, and yet he scored some points today that could be a twenty million dollar paycheck when it all shakes out further down in the constructors. Uh, did you get the same impression uh, as I did that that was kind of Daniel Ricciardo of old? Yeah, I did, and he actually should have finished higher because if he stopped earlier for a, um, a switch to the hard tires, and then the red flag happened, and people around him got a free uh, a free set of mediums, as effectively, which uh, meant that he couldn't keep Russell behind, um, couldn't keep Norris behind. Norris would probably finish ahead of him anyway, but I think I guess Russell he definitely had a chance. But yeah, it does feel like Daniel Ricciardo is back to his old self. Um, you, you talk to people in the panic, you talk to Francis Tost, you talk to Christian Horner, Helmut Marco, they're all sort of singing from the same uh, hymn sheet about Daniel. That he's, you know, they, they recognize the driver that he was at Red Bull again. And Obviously, huge credit to AlphaTauri as well for getting him there. And it wasn't the smoothest comeback because he obviously had the hand fracture. He missed five races. He didn't get a chance to get going. And then he came back in Austin, which was a sprint weekend. AlphaTauri upgraded the car quite frequently, so he had to reset again. And finally, this weekend, it seems like because it was a normal format, they could really get Daniel up to speed, get the setup to his liking, find some more performers. And it looks like... They can actually tweak the car to suit his driving style, which McLaren wasn't quite able to do. A perfect tonic for Ricciardo after what has been, I was going to say, a difficult year, but it was really three difficult years. Yeah, he's got every chance of uh, dislodging Perez. If it's not next year, then 2025, perhaps. Yeah, it's been um, three difficult years, but actually this is sort of overwhelmingly positive, despite the fact he broke his hand and he missed all those races because he's back in Formula One wasn't guaranteed at the start of the year that he'd ever come back and 
he's he's doing he's doing pretty well. I thought he was good in Hungary when he came back originally, and and, and he's obviously done very well this weekend. And yeah, you're right, Phil. He's just totally undone by the red flag because Aftari didn't have any mediums put on his car, and as we've covered, they, but that was the tire to be on. But um, he was fairly confident he could have held. You know, he was well, he was holding Piastri at bay. Norris seemed to have a bit of an edge you know, over his teammates sort of, uh, you know, when push came to shove. So perhaps Norris might have got him anyway, but, you know, I think that's still, um, that's still a really good, uh, really good performance from Ricardo. But you were down, uh, it feels like a billion years ago when we walked into the track at uh, 8.30 this morning, you headed off to uh, the, the various tech sessions uh, of, of the chosen cars um, that were being presented. It's always done for the FIA since the start of 2022. Um, and Alfa Tauri, one of them. And is there any sort of indication that this thing that Pierre Gasly, who would know very well because he left Alfa Tauri to go to Alpine, uh, was suggesting that they've got a particular trick for doing well in Mexico, did they go into that uh, much while you were down there? Well, you wouldn't be too surprised that they didn't want to disclose oh, everything old trick. Unfortunate, very disappointed. They didn't just disclose all their company secrets to us because we asked nicely. But I think it's just one of those races that you really need a specific setup for. Like, I don't know everyone asked nicely, but anyway, I digress. <laughs> well, some asked nicely than others, but I think. I think it's just, you know, you've got your Monaco's, you've got your Baku's, Singapore's. I think Mexico is probably one of those because of the altitude that is just such a curveball. And they probably found something that they've developed over a couple, a couple of years that is a sort of, you know, exotic, different baseline setup that somehow really leans, leans into mechanical grip that is really important there. Yeah, they've they found a couple of things that seem to persist across different cars, across different years. All right, before we go, I want to talk about Alex Albon. Another two points from a Grand Prix weekend. He's racking them up and uh, and a great result for Williams. He was unlucky because he pitted just before the uh, the red flag after the, the Magnussen accident. So it's not like he got a, a free stop or anything. And he made the tyres, it's very sympathetic on the tyres. So uh, did... Uh, did a lot of laps on the hard tyre and a lot of laps like Hamilton on the medium tyre after the, that second restart. So, you know, this wasn't a Canada, but this was another brilliant weekend for him and for Williams. Uh, this current phase of, of his Formula One career, uh, again, because it's slightly d- further down in the point scoring, doesn't get all of the headlines. But, you know, from my perspective, a really, really impressive Result for Albon, for Williams as well. And just another weekend to be really happy with their work, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think they were quite surprised at how it turned out. But yeah, you're, you're, you're right, Martin. Um, Williams openly admitting after the race that, with hindsight, of course, they, they should have just waited for the red flag rather than, than pitting Albon. But actually what they say made his race and, and it's backed up is his, is his starts. He was absolutely mega. And we've already talked about uh, Norris going backwards because that was a sort of factor as well. But yeah, um, also had to be quite patient as well because Nico Hulkenberg was, was providing something of a DRS training. What was still a pretty strong weekend, you know, for, for Hulkenberg and his side of the Haas garage anyway. Um, all, all things considered, it just didn't seem quite as bad as it had at, at times early on in the season with that updated Haas. But yeah, Albon has to be patient, got by Hulkenberg, the Alpines did as well. And um, yeah, just it's sort of, it, it, he's he's become, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because if you think back to sort of, 2019, 2020 in particular, and it was Albon getting the frustrations of you've got this clearly mega car. Okay, at that stage, it's not as good as the Mercedes, but whatever. And you're just not at Verstappen's level and oh, you're a nice guy, but it's really tricky. And that's exactly what's happening with Perez at the moment. 
the performances he's put in for Williams have utterly banished those memories. Like these performances that Albon's putting in, you just expect them now. It's not, it's not a surprise. He has, I think he's, he's totally morphed into the sort of George Russell, Mr. Saturday. I know that was a terrible thing we all hated, but anyway, um, position in that he can lead Williams. He can get those glittering results whenever there's an opportunity and often even when there isn't if he's just got to make a, a man strategy uh, uh work so yeah highly impressive from albon and 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 i guess i guess it should be shame on me for for getting used to it you know we should be praising him uh, equally as, as as all the performances deserve yeah when, when you said that alex the name that came to mind for me was fernando alonso like alex albon seems to be, be able to ring out whatever performances in the car like Fernando Alonso used to do when he was driving a Ferrari that couldn't really match the Red Bulls, but he's was still winning races. And I think Albon is sort of doing that on maybe on a lower level, but he's just always there. And it's really remarkable to see his transformation into this team leader. And he really seems to galvanize Williams around him and around each other. And there's, you know, there's such a, complete shift there in terms of years of struggles of under investments and now they've got a spring in their step and I think Albon's played a huge part in that. I think the point you raised there is important to consider Williams overall because there's that ridiculous cliche that's actually completely not based in reality of a driver outperforming a car that's, that's never happens it's just drivers can get closer to the limit of what each car is capable of doing. Fernando Alonso famously doesn't he gets every car he's ever driven to the limit right and I think Actually, we need to give Williams more credit than they've than they've been given at times this season. I'm still really annoyed if you think back to Barcelona and there was that uh, really disingenuous uh, post by some someone on some oh, who cares on on Twitter or X or whatever it's called, going like, "Oh, now you understand why this team is so rubbish because their floor is so basic compared to the Red Bulls." Despite the fact that the angle of the photo, they were looking at two completely different parts of the car, one of which is more basic even on a Red Bull. But anyway. Um, yeah, on that, you know, I think I just think we should give Williams more credit because clearly they've designed that the car isn't totally awful. It's capable of doing what Albon is doing with it. I want to hear your final thoughts on queuing at the pit lane exit saga. Alex, you and I made the Saturday podcast this week. You were very clear on the regulation that uh, that you read out for our listeners uh, to help clarify. This is where the stewards, the rule makers are coming from. It's very clear you can't stop your car or slow your car unnecessarily on a live racetrack and there is this weird quirk that actually the pit lane isn't included in that and so after we saw yesterday Verstappen coming almost to a stop we saw Russell coming to a stop to create gaps to ensure that when they're on their outlap they are they've got the gap they want in front of them when the steward said no further action on any of them because they've not actually broken a rule where do you guys stand on this because if i take that thinking through to the extreme next time out logan Sargent should go out immediately and set the fastest time on some soft tires and then on a pit lane that's nice and skinny just park it and turn it off get out and have an ice cream and then nobody can get past him now i'm being enormously facetious to make a dramatic point i'm really confused on a on a, on a, a sport that has a rule book thousands of pages deep it's it just looks so weird on TV to see a driver able to hold up all the cars behind him 
and not actually be breaking a rule. So where's Formula One at the moment then? How do we leave this rule? We'll just go back to the three drivers that were under investigation and cleared. I think that was absolutely the correct thing to have done because there was the precedent of Verstappen in, in Singapore and, and and that was no, no further action there. So that that didn't surprise me. And I think, um, yeah, I think that was the correct call. But Martin, you are, you are absolutely right. The, what is currently going on leads there is the potential for something nefarious to happen right they you, you just don't know are they doing it deliberately to screw other other people as you say are they doing it for these tire pressure magic dark arts things um but it's it's the, the real problem they've got i honestly i i don't think it will change until the end of the season the drivers are resigned to the fact that it's not going to change before 2024 because it requires potential rule changes and, and major changes to the regs basically the fia the race director race control officials the stewards the drivers the teams are all in you know they're, they're all agreeing that it's safer to have what's going on in the pit lane than have say in the like turn 12 that blind right hander here in mexico to have a car going really really slowly on the racing line another one roar up behind it and smash into the back of it they're they're united in the view that what's going on in the pit lane is safer so it won't change in the short term. I personally, as of right now, I don't really care. I think it's being blown out of proportion because so what? It's just the situation. But equally, I'll say that now, when something someone does use it totally dastardly, then suddenly you're like, well, of course that was bad. But it, do, you know, do you see what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it's like, okay, sure. But also, yeah, that probably does need fixing. So, well, let's, let's wait and see if somebody just parks it at the end of the pit lane. Not breaking any rules. Can't get past me. Uh, it's odd, but we'll wait and see where, where that goes. You're right. Closing speeds need addressing, but um, that doesn't seem particularly good when you see it on tv well that's all the questions that i had for you guys i mean it was a slow burn it was uh, it, it wasn't one that is going to give us you know a massive massive review show on a sunday because the first third was very much hold your places but that's everything i had for you guys thank you so much for for joining us and answering that brilliantly as always uh, we look forward to moving on now to the next race in our triple header we'd love to know what you think uh, dear listeners you can email podcast at autosport.com leave us some messages on our social media and on the videos that we make for the, the channel as well we'd love to hear from you thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you on the next one Podcast Network.